Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ajanoclast. I'm your host, John A. Lancaster. For episode 9, I'm going to carry on from a previous talk I gave on palimony, which was episode 6. For anyone unaware of what palimony is, I can sum it up by saying it's alimony for non-married couples. A more thorough definition can be found on the Ijonoclast episode 6 and its notes. Anyhow, this episode will be focusing on the role of profit in palimony. For most people, profit consists of revenue that exceeds explicit costs. This is profit in an accounting sense. But there's more to the concept than monetary gain. There's a psychical element. This is where psychic profit comes in. Psychic profit is simply how much a person benefits from taking certain actions. Because people's preferences vary, psychic profit is subjective in nature. What may be a profitable outcome for one person may not be for another. I believe von Mises talked about this in either Human Action or Socialism. I can't pull up the direct quote at the moment, but I remember him mentioning the futility of the communists or socialists trying to do away with the profit incentive. The profit incentive, Mises explained, was inherent in human nature. People act to bring about more favorable circumstances. A person can alter what choices one has, but the chooser will always choose the option that gives them the greater benefit. Kevin D. Williamson gives some good examples of this in his book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Socialism. Quote, The economist... Paul Craig Roberts tells a relevant anecdote about the shortcomings of the Soviet economic planning. When the output of a nail factory was measured in total units of production, the managers of the factory decided to produce great quantities of small, thin nails. When the measure of output was changed to gross tonnage, the managers switched to making big, heavy nails. In both cases, the producers produced what the measurers measured regardless of whether the economy actually needed lots of small nails or fewer numbers of heavy nails. The socialist economics of the U.S. public school system operates in precisely the same way. When schools were measured by their graduation rates, they lowered standards and graduated more students. When they were measured by standardized test scores, they neglected general education to focus on the subjects covered by the tests and lobby to have the test designed in such a way as to maximize their students' scores. In some instances, educators organized their students to systemically cheat on standardized tests. When extra money became available for special needs students, educators began to classify more and more of their students as special needs. While reporting on school budgets in a school district outside of Philadelphia, I found one school district went so far as to classify its gifted and talented program as a special needs program.
thereby maximizing both its funding and its measured success in educating special needs students, unquote. See, both the nail factory and the schools altered their actions based on what outcome would bring the most favorable circumstances, or in other words, what would yield the most profit. Now, some of you may be wondering what this has to do with palimony. Well, I'll tell you. Palimony payments are affected by two factors which directly involve psychic profit. In the words of Divorce.net, those factors are a significant disparity between the partner's income and any sacrifices made by either partner to support the other, such as foregoing a career to raise children and manage the household. A common rationale for these two factors goes that a spouse, in sacrificing more lucrative career options for the betterment of the relationship, is entitled to monetary recompense for the theoretically lost wages. The problem with this rationale is that it is restricted to looking at gain through a purely monetary standpoint. As mentioned before, profit is not limited to money. Psychic profit is subjective, which renders it mental and purely personal. It cannot be measured or weighted like accounting profit, but rather felt or sensed, according to the Mises wiki page. Pertaining to the palimony situation, given that humans act in ways that better their own condition, we can deduct that a spouse who forewent higher earning job prospects to stabilize the relationship found the latter role more beneficial, i.e. profitable, than the former. That is, the spouse valued a non-earning position in the relationship higher than an earning one. Outside of a contractual agreement stipulating payment based on foregone wages in the event of a breakup, there is no unique circumstance that entitles one to such foregone wages. Any action a person takes involves an opportunity cost. The fact that a person made a voluntary choice signifies that the opportunity not taken wasn't as favorable as the opportunity that was acted upon. This is no different than a person who chooses a lower paying job for some kind of non-monetary perk unique to another job, such as more free time or a more favorable location. When one makes a claim that a spouse is entitled to wages foregone for a domestic role in a relationship, they are trying to, in effect, undo the costs of a previous transaction. Mandating that one spouse provide the difference of the other spouse's choices does not uphold entitlements. It is chiefly putting the burden of one person's decision on another. That's it for this episode of the Ijonoclast. The relevant links are in the description. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help out by leaving a like, sharing the episode on social media, 
and spreading the word about the Ijanoclast. More of my work can be found on my website, johnalancaster.com. My links page on the site will direct you to my articles, curated videos, and spoken word poetry. Thank you for listening. God bless.